maybe I should give it a Hawaiian opening. I want to go back to my little grass shack on Pulau Tiga. I want to be with all the rats and snakes I used to know. Just kidding. I can hear the waves lapping on the shores of Toggy Beach. I can hear Jeff Probst announcing the tribe has spoken. You're the first one who voted off. It won't be long till my ship will be sailing back to Borneo. It's April 5th, 2017, late at night. An electric didgeridoo purrs in the darkness, an unholy noise in the middle of the Fijian wilderness. It's a generator, about a two-minute walk downhill from the sacred site of tribal council. Over the course of 39 days, 18 men and women will walk through a veritable temple built using real railroad track and other authentic materials from the Fijian sugarcane trade flanked on all sides and in all corners by an endless array of heavy torches bursting with fire. In the weeks ahead, the castaways will come to tribal every three nights with their own torches, brought to life by a massive fire pit at the center of the rudimentary arena, and kissed to death by the tribal chief himself, Jeff Probst, the master of ceremonies at this brilliantly illuminated and often illuminating place. I'm standing with Probst in the middle of Tribal, right next to where he will be standing every third night for the next 36 days, snuffing the torch of the latest person sacrificed to the deities known around these parts as the Survivor Gods. Ten minutes ago, the first sacrifice was made. Right now, the very first person eliminated from the 35th season of Survivor is on a boat in the middle of the Fijian Sea, their quest for the million dollars over before it ever truly began. This person is sailing toward the fittingly named Ponderosa, the place they called home in the days before the game began, and they're home once more for the next couple of weeks. At Ponderosa, the first one out of Season 35 will be left to ponder how things went so wrong so fast. For now, standing here with Probst, he's left to ponder the crushing gravity of what just happened to this poor soul's dream. Man, that's hard, because if you told me it's just a game, I'd tell you to take a hike and, I'd, you know, come back in a month when I'm ready to talk, because it's not just a game. I give up, you know, if I'm a player, I give up a lot to get here. You have to leave behind your entire world. You can't tell anybody. You can tell your immediate family, but we're pretty strict about who you can tell, so you got to lie. If you have a job, you're leaving it. If you have a husband or a wife or kids or boyfriend or girl, whatever, you're leaving it. And then you're coming out here with very little clothing and nothing else, a machete and maybe a spear. Okay, great. So it's pretty devastating. You know, we see it as a TV show, but these people, some of these guys have watched for 15, 16, 17 years, thought about coming out here, and then it's me. So if it, I, I don't know how to cope, but I would say the question I would, I would evaluate. I would say I need to make sure that it was just, I was on the wrong side of the numbers and not that I'm not aware because one of the great things about survivor is your friends, even though they tell you, they tell you the truth. They don't always tell you the truth. They tell you what they think you need because they love you on survivor. People tell you the truth when they write your name down. Don't want you here. Sometimes you're lucky and it's because you're a threat, but sometimes it's because there's something about you. They really just don't want around. For The Hollywood Reporter, in collaboration with Rob Has a Podcast, 
I'm Josh Wiggler. This is First One Out. Chapter One, Outcast. It dawns on me that someone out there listening to this might not know what Survivor is or might not believe the show is still really happening. Trust me, it's real. It's happening. Nearly two decades and more than 500 episodes have passed since Survivor first debuted on May 31st, 2000, with more than 50 million viewers tuning in for that first season finale. Those numbers have slimmed down a bit over the years, not unlike how the bodies of the castaways wither away while they starve and struggle to outlast each other. Unlike the castaways, or most of them anyway, the modern Survivor viewership is fiercely loyal. The series has maintained a strong and shockingly stable audience in the face of an ever-shifting television landscape. There are families with young children who consider Survivor an essential part of their Wednesday night rituals. There are longtime superfans, or super-duper fans to use a recently coined phrase, who can tell you the exact boot order of any given season. There are even folks who still just watch the show for the man buns and the bikini bodies and the physical realities involved with competing on Survivor. No matter what it is that gets them into the show, Survivor fans of all shapes and sizes will happily tell you that, yes, this show is very much still on, and it very much remains one of the richest viewing experiences around. Some things have changed since Survivor first aired. In the early days, the first champion, Richard Hatch, implemented a winning strategy revolving around alliances, which was considered a dirty word at the time. These days, it's the most common word in the Survivor vernacular, with all due respect to the hyphenated spin and grin. Alliances have become an essential part of the game, as have blindsides, the blanket term for voting somebody out in such a way that the target never sees it coming. The evolution of strategy is one of the main draws for Survivor loyalists who are fascinated with the increasingly inventive ways players forge ahead in their pursuit of the million-dollar prize. More and more, Survivor is intentionally seeking to cast people who either know the show's history and game mechanics inside and out, or are smart enough and bold enough to figure it out on the fly. What's more, the show's previously nomadic nature has changed, at least for the time being. Survivor has filmed in dozens of exotic locations around the world, from the first season in Borneo, to the fifth season in Thailand, to the 15th season in China and beyond. For the 33rd season, the show dropped anchor in Fiji and has yet to leave. It's an ideal location due to its beautiful network of islands, vast access to the ocean, and lush scenery that immediately conjures that unique feeling of survivorness. When pressed on the matter, members of the crew will stop short of describing Fiji as Survivor's forever home. But it's certainly there for now home, and home is a happy place. Jeff Probst sits on the porch of his home, and he's very much in a happy place, as we stare out at the Fijian Sea and talk Survivor Shop. A few hours earlier, Probst officially launched the latest 39-day journey, Season 35, Heroes vs. Healers vs. Hustlers. I've been calling it Triple H for short, but I'm not a wrestling guy, so I'll leave the damn good jokes and memes to those of you prepared to make them. Anyway, we'll get into the name of the season and what it means to Probst, at least, in a bit. First, some details on the marooning. The 18 new contestants began their adventure stranded in the middle of the ocean, cast out of the very same vessel seen in the opening minutes of last season's Survivor Game Changers. With nothing more than first impressions on their side, and a ticking clock looming over their collective heads, the heroes, healers, and hustlers of Season 35 were forced to work with and against each other to gather all of the food and supplies they could find before being forced off the ship 
If one of these players was wide-eyed and savvy enough, or even savvy enough, they may or may not have found a hidden advantage in the game somewhere on the ship before leaping into the ocean to compete in a three-way quest for fire. There will be time to get into all of those specific details later. For now, in the interest of getting us all on the same page, both loyal viewers and curious newcomers alike, Probst and I start our conversation about heroes versus healers versus hustlers with a broader question. So uh, this is going to be a podcast that I'm sure Super Duper Survivor fans are going to be listening okay. to. Also, an opportunity for people who have lapsed on Survivor. Might, those people might be coming and checking this Welcome out. Welcome back. Welcome back. Maybe some new fans. Maybe people who are like, this, this show's still on? Let's, let's give this a shot. For those people, what is this? What is Survivor? What are they getting into? Survivor is this amazing experiment where you take a group of people and you, for all intents and purposes abandon them in the middle of nowhere. Obviously, it's a TV show, so we're watching. But the idea is that they're going to create their own society where they have to build a shelter, make fire, catch fish, all of those things. And on top of that is this complicated social game of every week you have to get rid of someone based on any reason you want. You don't like them or you like them too much. And at the end, who's ever left makes their plea to their jury, the people they voted out, saying, here's why I deserve the million-dollar prize, because I played the best game. So what, why I call it an experiment is that it's different every single time, and yet it's the same, you're using the same data, the same criteria, you're just getting a different result, and that you have to work together and vote each other out. And it's really complicated and, and incredibly fascinating, and if you're just watching it for the first time, you will think, it's just as interesting as if you had been watching it for 17 years. That's one of the great things, is that it's, it's kind of evergreen, the concept. And because it's usually a new cast every season, you could hop in in season 35 without having seen 1 through 34, and you're, you're going to be fine. You'll be able to catch up immediately. Yeah, you don't need to know the history of the game. It's fun. It's fun, but you actually don't need it because the players do a pretty good job of telling you what's going on. And it's things like, okay, I'm a little nervous. I don't trust Josh but he's my only alliance partner and I'm not sure what to do and I have this advantage and this advantage gives me the power to blank. You're caught up pretty quickly. And if you've watched for a long time, like most of our fans have, then you have this Rolodex of history of saying, don't do this, do that. Remember when he did this, it didn't work so well. That's got a curse on it, don't do that. It just gets bigger and bigger, which is why a lot of new fans watch a season and they go, okay, I gotta go back in the library and start watching everything. Can you speak to the fandom of this show? Because you talk a lot about the people on the streets and the people that you meet and the people who come up to you and talk about Survivor. Who are these people? I mean, case in point, some people at the airport on our way out to Fiji just came up to you. Right. You know, who, who comes up to you and talks about Survivor? Well, it's changed over the years. Lately, it's been families first. Families, and I see them coming from two blocks away. Mom and dad and two kids somewhere between 7 and 12 or 13 years old sometimes a little older, and they they say, we watch this show together, we watch it every Wednesday night, there's usually some sort of performance required from the kid, like they have to get their homework done, or they have to have done their chores, but the one thing they say is, it's the only show that we can watch together where we all get something different, and we share it equally, but then on top of that, we have people that have been watching since we started, And I know this because when we did our 500th episode, which was the premiere of our 34th season, 
I got so many emails from people, friends going, wait a minute, I've watched 500 hours of the show. How is that possible? Well, because you just watch them one at a time over 17 years and you're there. So we have a pretty broad spectrum of people that watch. Academics, I have a lot of smart friends, writers, uh, older people now in their 60s, 70s, even 80s who've been watching for a long time and every so often they see somebody on that represents them. So I think it's a pretty broad spectrum, but to your point, I think anyway, I can tell you that who I think of when I make the, when we're making the show is um, families. That's who I'm thinking of out here because yeah. as a dad now, I know how hard it is to find shows you can watch and feel safe. And also I know that inside every kid lurks a future survivor. There is something about our animal instinct that wants to know do i still have it even meaning even if you've never done it you're 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 a you're part of the dna that used to have to do it you used to have to forage in the forest and when kids talk to me it's always with a little bit of a little shine in their eye that says i know i could do that we're in fiji uh, this is the, the third season in three seasons that you've shot in Fiji. Fourth season overall, technically. Right. What do you love about being out here, aside from the fact that we're sitting outside, birds are chirping, the sun's going down. It's pretty beautiful out it's here. It's pretty spectacular. What I like about it, I think, and I think I speak for our, our entire crew, is we've traveled so many places over so many years, and the landscape has changed a lot. There's not, There's more people, so it's harder to find deserted islands. The economy has changed in a lot of places, including the U.S., so we can't afford some of the places we used to. Politics have come into play. Safety's come into play. But Fiji is this little, beautiful, still, I would say, undiscovered place, which is crazy. Everybody knows Fiji, but they don't really. It's stunning. And I'm torn because I want people to know it's beautiful, but I don't, I don't want to lose it. You've seen the water here. It's amazing. It's, it's spectacular. It's spectacular. The islands, they're, they're utopia. And then you the have the starry nights. The starry nights, really. And then every so often you get a killer storm that comes through and says, by the way, I'm, I'm still here. here. Yeah. <laughs> well, speaking of that, I mean, we're recording this on the day of the opening. Day one is today. Right. Um, Day one, about a year ago, couldn't be more different than what we experienced today. Today right. was a crystal, you know, blue skies, beautiful day. Uh, a year ago, you were preparing to have the first evacuation of right. the cast in Survivor history. Um, night and day, how did that change the energy? Did it change the energy at all for the opening today? Uh, oh, for today, well, yeah, if you think back to a year ago, we were, we were really concerned, and rightly so. A cyclone came through and did a lot of damage. We were prepared, and it went off without a hitch. But today, we all walk, woke up, and we were talking about it moments before we kicked them off the boat. We just looked around and went, this, this is really, as the condition-wise, as good as it gets. There were clouds in the air. It was super calm, just a little bit of a breeze. The water was great. The boat was sitting there. We knew what our big opening shot was going to be, which is our chopper shooting the, the boat with all the people on it. We could kind of see what was going to happen. And then here are these 18 people, wide-eyed, so energetic, and so nervous. And it's hard to describe what it feels like, Josh, because 
even though this is the 18th year of us doing this show, and you know from being here, it doesn't feel like it. This is not a bunch of curmudgeons going, oh, I guess we're going to do a few more. Everybody goes, dude, we get to do this again. And if we do it well, we may get to do it again next year. And that's still how we feel. And even as I sit here with you now, I'm... I'm, I have this sort of exhaustion, but it's not exhaustion from working hard. It's exhaustion from so much excitement and energy finally coming out on day one. And now I'm like all of our crew, we're all going, okay, we're up and running again. Here we go. I pass by people around, you know, location here. Every crew member I pass by, like every other crew member at least, it's like, I think we got a good season. What did you think of today? People here are really invested in it. And, yeah. you know, people love getting dirty out here. They do. And it's, it's a testament to our crew that when a weather pattern comes in or when it's very hot, people don't, they rarely complain. They actually find the story in it. Okay, so the, the survivors now are going to be impacted this way. Or let me change the audio gear. This is what we need to, if it's going to be raining. There's just a a feeling of that you're in this battle together, but it's a positive battle. It's like, we can do this. And we have the belief because we've done it so long that we actually are foolish enough to believe we can get out of any jam. Anything could happen, including a cyclone forcing us to evacuate both tribes. How are you going to do that? I don't know. Anybody got an idea? And before you know it, we have an idea and we're doing it. I still can't believe. And I've been saying this for thousands of days i still can't believe this is my job it's a pretty good gig yeah where are we in survivor right now clearly we're in fiji physically but where are we survivor right now at this point in survivor we're approaching season 35 we're in the belly of the beast of filming season 35 right now as this is coming out season 34 is in the past game changers has aired um i know that you have said in the past you, you've you've stopped predicting what people are going to think about a season but i'm curious about where your head is at coming into a new season of Survivor, given where you just were, given where you were a few months ago when you wrapped production. I'm really excited. I have a lot of positive feelings about the series and this season. And really, it's a, it's a maturation, I think, on, on some level with me that I've accepted that Survivor, we have a good show and that it's not a fluke, and that we've been on a long time because we deliver really fun s stories to watch. And equal to that is, I really, it sounds corny, but I feel invested with the people who watch. I, I feel like we're all part of this big play, and we're all playing different parts. And somebody who's a fan right now may decide to play the part of a player in a year, and it happens. And you hear them say to me, I can't believe I'm here. I've been watching since I was eight and I decided, hey, I'm 18. Give it a shot. So it's this really crazy world of at any given time, anything could happen. But the, the glue that holds us all together is that we're all in the same thing, which is we know this is a really fun format. We've been lucky enough to be the ones to make it. You've been kind enough to continue watching. And so what we do is dedicate our professional lives to coming up with the moments that'll twist the show a little bit, and then we spend months trying to find 18 or 20 people that will come play. This year it's 18. This year it's 18 divided into three tribes. There are the heroes, there are the healers, and there are the hustlers. How did you get here? Uh, where did the, wh what's the origin story of this season's theme? Yeah, this season came from the fact that we 
whenever possible, we just go into casting with an open slate. And I can't emphasize how risky that is and how scary it is because the calendar is clicking every day, a new day, you're getting closer to shooting. And you need to know your theme because you want to know what are we, what stories are we going to tell? But we don't like to go looking for people. We just like to find the best group. And so about, I guess, halfway through, we had a football hero and we had a doctor and we had a nurse practitioner and then we had a bellhop and we had a fisher, a, a woman, Lauren, who fishes. And I just kept looking at the cards, trying to figure out what it was. And healer was the word that really broke it because you could see heroes and you could see hustlers. Like these are people that have to hustle. I mean, finding the H word is very, you know, those were. You want came, the alliteration. Yeah, that came later. Survivor Triple H, you want to get there. It's hard. The healer was the one that broke it because we, you know, we pitched it to CBS, but they wanted the name to ring. And you're like, oh God, okay, I know, I get it. So what are the, and once we finally went heroes and healers and hustlers, then we had it. And the, the only hiccup that I think anybody had is that there's another connotation with hustler, with, which is you're a con man. And I just, you know, my pitch to CBS was, yeah, people might think that until we explain that that's not the case, that this guy's an entrepreneur, this guy's a bellhop, she's a third generation fisher person, she's a personal assistant. These are people who hustle, they get it done. And, and in a sense, as I said today, they actually are the closest to the personification of what a survivor player has to do is, you have to hustle because if you don't get it done, you don't eat. And I'm really curious to see heroes who are used to being put on a pedestal because you serve our country or because you're an athlete or because you broke the glass ceiling as a woman in, in, in business and healers who put everybody first and hustlers who say, I don't know how I'm going to get it done, but show up at eight and it'll be done. I'm really curious to watch those three groups play. One of the things that I really liked about what you said on the boat today, it's actually two things. One is that uh, you talked about positive attributes. Um, you know, Survivor is a cutthroat game. It requires that you are willing to blindside. It requires that you are willing to be manipulative. It requires that you are willing to lie and keep secrets from other people that maybe you really, really like, but you have to best in order to advance in the game. Um, but that doesn't mean it has to be a mean-spirited game. You know, it can be a game where you can where you can kill them with kindness. Mm -hmm. So I love the idea of positive attributes being something that you're focusing on. So I'd love to get your take on that. But what I also love is the fact that you're talking about this is how the world views you. This might not be how you view, yeah. view yourself. Yeah. So can you talk about those two yeah. components in the theme? Well, I love what you just said because that's, that's how I feel. I, I, I believe in people always, even people who've made terrible decisions. If you trace their story back far enough, there's a point where you understand it. Here's how they got here. And maybe it was bad breaks or maybe it's a mental illness or any number of things. But for the most part, I think most people are good in, on some level. And so I was really attracted to the idea that these are positive qualities. You can't not want this quality. If somebody told me, Jeff, you hustle a lot, and I appreciate that, I'd say, thank you. If somebody said, Jeff, you really put people first, you help them heal their wounds, I'd say, wow, thank you. I don't know what you're talking about, but thank you. And if somebody said, man, you're my hero, I'd go, you two are crazy, but thank you. And then the other half of it is, you don't have to agree with it. But if you're gonna serve our country and fight in our armed forces, you're going to be a hero to me. That's how I see you. You are literally risking your lives. And I expect you to say, 
It's not heroic. It's just my job. That's why you're a hero. And so I think that positive qualities in Survivor 15 years ago, I don't know how they would have played. But you really saw it in the millennial versus Gen X season. This idea that we can play a cutthroat game, high stakes human poker, but we're still, we're still bros. In fact, if you beat me, I'll vote for you in the end. But you better not beat me because I'm trying to beat you. And that was a major turning point for me. I was so impressed with that young group of people. It changed my whole, in a way, it kind of shifted my whole outlook on life. I found myself reevaluating, who do I hang out with? And are they like those guys? Because I want that energy. Yes, they make rash decisions. You could come up with a million things that millennials do that you don't like. But what one thing they do that I really like is they say, yes, I'll give that a shot. Sure. So I think you picked up on something that maybe not a lot of people have, which is the game is evolving and people are realizing it's not personal. It's personal in the game, but it's not personal. I, I still think you're awesome, but I got you and you got to give me credit, dude. I beat you this time. You might beat me next time. That to me is the perfect game because why do we have to crush each other really crush their spirit. It's just poker. There are 18 players at the proverbial poker table this season, and I spoke with all of them in the days before the game began. Our conversations took place in a small slice of jungle, a quick journey inland from the very same beach where Brett LaBelle came out to Zeke Smith during Survivor Millennials vs. Gen X. Full disclosure, no beers were consumed in the making of these interviews, but we enjoyed some very revealing conversations all the same. Over the course of First One Out, we'll pull the curtain back on those conversations, starting now with a quick look at the people who you're going to get to know throughout Triple H. A few minutes ago, you heard Probst mention five different people whose occupations helped clarify the theme. A football hero, a doctor, a nurse practitioner, a bellhop, and a fisher. The football hero is a man named Alan Ball. He is not the creator of True Blood. He is not the creator of Six Feet Under. He's a 32-year-old recently married and recently retired NFL player. Or at least he's mostly retired. Either way, he's learned a thing or two across his football career. At any given time, I'm in a, I'm in a room, I'm in a locker room with 60 guys. Yeah. One day. The next day, that locker room, three of those guys might go, be gone. Three more guys might be in there. So for me... We're, we're always trying to figure out a way to accomplish what we want to accomplish winning with the guys that we're there with. We have no control over the people we're there with. We're not the owner. We don't sign people. We're not the coaches. We don't decide who plays. None of that. But it's our job to figure out how to work with the person next to us to accomplish the goal we're trying to accomplish. And at any moment, those people can change. And it's also pretty similar in the fact that those guys come from all over. We got guys from Detroit, New York, Florida, California, Samoa, everywhere. And they're all coming into the same place. I don't know what their journey is. I don't know what their background is. And honestly, I don't care. We're trying to accomplish one thing right now. And that's where it comes into play. You know, and I, and I think that, that has another, another thing to do with adaptability. Just learning to know how to work with people and figuring out what makes somebody tick. What do I need to say to this person to get them on the same page with me? What do I need to say to this person? How do I need to communicate with this person that, hell, look, we got to work harder, but not offend this person at the same time. Or, you know, an only child who's been spoiled all his life, a superstar who's probably making the most money. How do I translate my message to him without 
offending him right or vice versa you know and yeah so so you've been playing the social politics for a while for a long time yeah for a long time the doctor is named mike zahalski a 43 year old urologist who lives and works in florida he loves survivor he loves it so much that he named one of his children ethan after the winner of survivor africa needless to say he's been dreaming about this moment for quite a while I have a curse, I think, that I never stop thinking, right? So every time I go in the shower, literally since Survivor started, my shower thought is, what would my three-minute video be? Yeah. And it's just never happened until one day we were watching and my, or we were talking about it and my wife was like, Mike, you wouldn't be on, like, the young tribe. You'd be on the old tribe. It's like, no, 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 I'm a young person. She's like, no, no, you're not. <laughs> I'm like... Oh my gosh, I gotta be on survive. Like I gotta apply. We gotta do this. So in February, like in my office, I uh, made a, like shot a video with one of my girls. Like took us 15 minutes in total to do the video, just me talking about who I am, why I should be on Survivor. And in November they called me. Wow. And it was, it was. That must have been perfect. a pinch me. I mean, I was screaming. I was like, Oh my god. <laughs> The nurse is Jessica Johnston, 29 years old from Louisville, Kentucky, on the Healers Tribe with Mike. She's the epitome of an enthusiastic person. She's loud, she's bright, she's infectious with her positivity. All wonderful qualities in a person. But in a Survivor player? We'll see. Anyway, she doesn't know the season's theme yet when I'm speaking with her, but here's Jessica perfectly explaining why she's a healer regardless. I fell into nursing. The first girl I met was a nursing major, and I hadn't declared yet. I was going to be a psychology major and realized I didn't like the whole head game thing. So I picked nursing, and it suits me perfectly. I had no idea. Naturally, I'm a nurturer. I am a lover at heart. I love people. I love helping. I feel like I sense emotion more than other people do. And so nursing and now as a nurse practitioner, I get to feed all of those natural instincts. Plus, I get to tell people what to do, yeah. which is fun at times. <laughs> so you like that part of the job I, as well. I like the leadership part and kind of having a say that counts. The bellhop is Ryan Ulrich, not Ulrich, thank you very much. He's 23 years old, originally from New Jersey, and fits very comfortably within the Survivor Super Duper fan archetype. Five seconds of conversation with Ryan is all you need to know about how much he loves this show. Here's maybe 50 or so seconds to give you an even better idea. Like, how many people want to freaking do this? And I am lucky enough to get the chance to do it. And it's, like, this is, like, I, I can't... It's very bad to lose your words when it's a, it's a show about talking yeah. frequently. But that's what it does to me because, like, I just... I'm incredulous to the fact that I'm here. You know, I, like, sitting with you is is crazy you yeah know? talking survivor with people is like something new to me you know and talking about myself isn't necessarily like something i you know i well i do go down the street talking about myself to random people sure just, see you know see hey here's a little crumb for you you right, know right this is who i am but uh yeah it's it's been great and like meeting the producers and and probes i mean come on stop and then there's the Fisher, Lauren Rimmer, 35 years old, a single mother who proudly calls Beaufort, North Carolina, her home. She's with Ryan on the Hustlers tribe, and she embodies the spirit of the tribe according to how Probst defines the Hustlers, someone who works tirelessly to provide a good life for her family. I kind of work seven days a week if the weather's pretty, because I never know when I'm going to have a bad day that I can't go. So I always have to be ready and willing to go and make money. Because if I don't get up and go, then I, I really don't get a paycheck. 
and um, being a single mother you know I have to it's just not me I have someone else depends on me so I have that's my big motivation is her and um, so you have to be positive and you have to be willing to do just about anything and you know I chose this industry for a reason because it is my passion and I am a third generation um, I could do anything I wanted to do and still could but my heart is just on the water yeah um, I have a lot of salt water that runs through my veins and I stand true to it there's one thing about this cast that a podcast can't quite convey due to the limitations of the medium but it will be undeniable when the show premieres this cast is jacked packed with some of the most physically intimidating players assembled in recent survivor history for more on the subject here's Desi Williams of the healers tribe 27 years old a physical therapist who has competed in the pageant world and looks like she could bench press roughly three Ryan Ulriches. I told somebody yesterday, it seems like they all came out of bodybuilder magazines. Like, I don't know if they live like that in their everyday life or that was part of their survivor prep was to just get as big and jacked as possible. But these guys are, like, huge. They're humongous guys. Uh, and the women are pretty fit, too. So that shocked me. Um, usually you kind of have a mix of people, and some people are super fit. Others seem like, I mean, we have a few who look like they've never stepped foot in a gym. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it's a tough group, a, a highly competitive group, I presume. A lot of eye candy this season, like, a lot. And thank you, Jeff. I really appreciate that. But, you know, I, I'll be honest, like, I was really hoping for a lot of duds. I was hoping to come in and have everybody else look like a very stupid person. But even, like, the hot people here, they look smart, and I hate that. That was Simone Wynn of the Hustlers Tribe, a 25-year-old diversity advocate whose trip to Fiji marks her first time leaving the country. And she's right, eye candy galore. For instance, there's Devin Pinto, the 23-year-old surfer boy dreamboat of the Hustlers Tribe. He's my official season 35 crush. This has been my favorite interview. So cool. Far. Are no. you just sucking up to me? Obviously, no, you are, right? No. Like, I mean, but it works. So it's no, good. I'm really not. It's great. I haven't started the game yet. I'm still an honest guy. There you go. All right. I appreciate that. Unless you have started the game. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what to think yet. I don't know. I feel like we're connecting, though. Like, yeah. I feel like no, we're going to go. No, we sure now. are, okay, man. Okay. These okay. smiles, these like laughs. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all real. I feel like it's real. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. For real, this is a pretty young cast, which is not lost on the Heroes Tribe's Chrissy Hoffbeck, a financial analyst who clocks in as one of the oldest contestants of the season at 43 years old. And I was hoping, again, that I would look around and there'd be some elderlies in the group, uh -huh. but there are none. So um, that is me. Okay. <laughs> there are a couple that I can't really tell. So maybe one older woman and another older guy. Beyond physical prowess, looks, and age, this is a group that contains survivor fans of all shapes and sizes. For instance, there's the deep-cut strategy-minded fans like Ryan and Mike, but there's also fans who enjoy Survivor the most when it's going off the rails. Someone like Rourke Luskin, a 27-year-old social worker on the Healers Tribe. She definitely enjoys and understands the strategy of Survivor, but she's also a big fan of the show's goofier moments. I've always loved communication and human dynamics, and I just love watching that stuff play out. That's why I feel like my favorite seasons are not necessarily the big strategy seasons, it's the big personality seasons. So you're a Gabon fan? I'm a Panama fan. Okay. Yeah, well, I would say... kind of a combo. True, true. Um, big Panama fan. Um, I actually... I recently hooked my one of my best friends and her husband, and so I've been slowly kind of peppering in different ones. How did you start them? With Panama? I started them with Cagayan. Okay. I thought I, I think, think that's, that's, a, I great think that's a great entry point. Yes, agreed. It's modern, a lot of characters, and so they um, they then chose heroes and villains, heroes versus villains. I'm sorry, um, and then moved on to I think 
my friend, independently of her husband, watched Micronesia. I don't think he's watched it. But they are attracted to weird characters um, where she... What did she say? She she like loves Jason Siska. Oh my god. What's wrong with you? It's so random. I was like, I'm not going to fight you on this. I'll let you have that. Some of the players aren't quite as well-versed in Survivor lore as Rourke. Take, for instance, the Heroes Tribe's John J.P. Hilsebeck, a 28-year-old firefighter from Los Angeles. Well, I wouldn't say like a huge Survivor fan because there's some people that are like just over the top with it. You know, I just say kind of been watching the show as I've been growing up and as the show's progressed through it all. And uh, just kind of, you know, just always thought, oh, it'd be really cool. You know, I'm a super outdoorsy type of guy and things like that. You know, starting fire, catching fish, cooking it and all that type of stuff. And then, so I was like, yeah, it was a great opportunity to do it. And finally I got that uh, that opportunity to go on the show. And uh, here I am, here I am talking to you. And uh, yeah, it's, a, you know, it's, it's exciting. It's yeah. super exciting. It's a group that's filled with complicated characters, like the Heroes Tribe's Ben Drebergen, 34 years old, covered in tattoos and filled with stories about his kids that will make you laugh almost as loud as Ben himself. I have two kids. Uh, one boy, he's, he's five, his name's Wyatt. And uh, when he came, we played We Are the Champions right, right after he came out of her. <laughs> right, like, the nurse had it all queued wow. up. Yeah, yeah, my wife was trying to be funny, like, and a smart, smart ass, basically, you know. The nurse asked her, is there anything else, you know, we want, you know, you guys want done, you know? Like, how do you want the baby, you know, when he comes? And, and she's like, just play we are the champions when you and she's like i could do that she's like no 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 i was like honey you made your bed you sleep in it now so sure sure shit right, they, so wyatt is a natural born champion he is he's a champ he's a drebergen but it's not all laughs as ben has stories from darker times in his past you know like any marine at that time when i was in um when when did you 2003 okay is when i went in and uh you know was in the infantry and went over to iraq and uh you know did what marines do best and and uh and um you know certain things happen and and certain people you know you lose friends and and you know the marine corps was a good experience but it was also a bad experience this is a group filled with liars people who are willing to do whatever is necessary to win take for instance joe mina a 34 year old probation officer from the bronx Due to his profession, Joe is a member of the Healers Tribe, but it wouldn't be a stretch to envision him as a hustler in the con man sense of the word. I'm here to secure the bag. I'm not here for the fame. I'm not here for the, you know, for the lights, the cameras, for the act, the adventure or anything like that. Just strictly for the money. You it's know? a business trip. Basically, that's how I look at it. You know, I play Survivor every single day in my job, and I don't make no seven hundred thousand dollars in, you know, in uh, in seven weeks. You know, I don't even make a hundred thousand dollars a year. So, um, that's what I'm here for. You know, I play Survivor literally every day. And there's nothing that, um, you know, these guys could throw at me that I haven't seen or heard or been through before, you know. There are some people in this group who understand that Survivor requires some level of deception in order to win, but haven't quite mastered that skill themselves just yet by their own admission. Case in point, Patrick Bolton, a 24-year-old business owner whose fair skin burns easily in the Fijian sun. Here he is speaking with multiple shirts cloaked around his head and back all in an effort to keep that Cochrane-esque flesh safe from the searing heat. I'm usually not a good liar. Uh-huh. Sometimes I am. It depends on the situation. I, if I know I like my life depends on it, yeah. you know, I'm going to have to be serious. Yeah. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not naturally a good liar. I've always told the truth, and, you know, sometimes it's not a good thing. Yeah. Most of the time, that's perfect. Yeah. You know, people love hearing the truth. But, you know, in this game, you know, truth is not, uh, truth is not the thing you really need to be telling people. Yeah. Necessarily. Yeah. 
you know, you got to tell some people the truth and some people not the truth. Yeah. There are some people in this group with enormous secrets to protect at all costs, or at least wield with great responsibility. There are few better examples of that than Allie Elliott of the Hustlers Tribe, 24 years old, stepping into season 35 with a secret that's either a hidden advantage or a hidden anchor, depending on how she plays it. Are you playing Survivor with someone you know? I am. Oh my god! I mean, I got here and I look over and I see someone that I went to college with. So this is gonna be weird. Wow, plot twist. And it's almost like another thing I have to deal with, you know? It's not only am I playing against, and now it's only 16 people I don't know, but it's now I do know him, so how do I factor that into the game? Like, because I know his tendencies and I know how he thinks, so I'm kind of worried. Overall, it's a cast of big personalities, with few people blending into the background, even though they aren't allowed to speak with one another until the game actually begins. Some of the players look out at the field and like what they see, like Katrina Radke, 46 years old, a member of the Heroes Tribe and a former Olympic swimmer. You know, sometimes you can see the Survivor show, you can, there's a few people you can look at and you just know, oh my God, they might be depressed, they might be really a gremlin, you know, hiding in their closet yes. or something like that. This cast seems very clean. Like, um, I'm curious to find out how many are like athletes, you know. I know one guy's a rock climber, and I can just tell by his nails or his hands, you know, and his back. Um, and I can tell a few of the females definitely are athletes. And, um, but any, and I know, you know, when we get stripped down to not having food and all this other stuff out there, it's going to be intense for everybody. So people are going to have their moments. But as a group, I think people have a vision of, hey, let's go out there and be gamers together. Yeah. So that I feel really excited about. On the flip side, there's Katrina's fellow hero, Ashley Nolan, a 26-year-old lifeguard. When she looks out at the field, she's less than impressed. I feel like it's a big group of complainers, quite honestly. Like, first time I've heard a couple of them talk was just like, oh, my feet hurt, it's so hot, oh my gosh, I need water, it's so, my hair, I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, you gotta get your beach feet and ready to go. You right. should have been walking on stones before you came out here. You knew you you're gonna be in some kind of environment that you weren't used to, you know? So you feel comfortable. I couldn't feel more comfortable. I'm trying to like, I couldn't take my clothes off quick enough, <laughs> get in my bikini, take my shoes off. They're like, oh, you might wanna bring shoes to protect your toes, I'm like, <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> and yeah, it's so funny. I realized for the first time when I got to hear some people's reactions of walking on the stones when we were taking some photos and stuff. I'm like, man, they're weaker than I thought. You know, this isn't even that bad, but they're complaining about walking through sand. Of course, somebody is going to have something to complain about very soon. Being the first one out. Only one of these players will win the million dollars. Everyone else will fall away as the game progresses. It's part of the bargain. They know the drill. But one unlucky individual will have gone through years of dreaming about this moment, months of enduring the rigorous casting process, weeks and weeks of training and preparation for the season, days on lockdown at Ponderosa, all for only three days of actual playtime. Needless to say, it's the worst case scenario for everyone. If I'm the first person out, my wife is going to be so mad at me. I'm going to be made fun of for the rest of my life. I would rather get injured, go out injured. I would rather be made a fool of in other ways. Oh my gosh, I can't even imagine. That would be hurt. That would be horrific. Yeah, that's my biggest fear. Someone's got to do it. Someone's gonna do it. I just really hope it ain't me. An hour or two after the castaways were marooned, I'm sitting in the office of Matt Van Wagenen, one of Survivor's executive producers. He's been with the show since the first time Survivor filmed in Fiji, all the way back in season 14. 
He's largely responsible for tracking and refining the narrative of a season for your television viewing pleasure. And as you'll learn throughout these podcasts, his enthusiasm for Survivor knows no bounds. Over the years, Van Wagenen has watched 20 people go home first, one of whom went home first twice. In two days, a 21st name will be added to that list. There are 18 people out here. One of these people is going to win. One of these people is going to have gone through all of this, everything, talking in front of you, talking in front of, you know, CBS bigwigs, Jeff, Mark Burnett, uh, you know, sending in clothes, flying out to Fiji, leaving their lives behind for more than 39 days to play three days of Survivor. How brutal is the first boot? It's horrible. And if it's not horrible, then I'm glad you're not there. If you take it in stride, then you probably didn't belong here in the first place. You should be. <laughs> it's, it's the ultimate, like, stomping on. It's, it's a kick in the groin. It's the worst. I mean, some of these people have been dreaming of this for, you know, for over a decade. Um, it's a horrible feeling. I will say, the flip side is that you still got a taste of, like, the biggest adventure in the world. I mean, it's this amazing thing, and, and thank God you had that. But I, I would be horrified to come out and do all of this. Forget the having to go home and face people about being voted out first. To put in so much effort, um, to go through so many steps, um, it's, it's, it's tough. I, I, and I do feel for them. But like I said, if, if it doesn't hurt and it doesn't sting, then you know it's probably a good thing you're not going on because we want people, we don't want them to hurt, but we want the type of people who would be hurt by that. Whoever gets voted out of season 35 first, they won't be alone. They'll become the latest member of Survivor's first boot club. Not that such an official club exists, but more than 30 people have suffered this devastating fate, sent home first for any number of reasons. In the weeks and months following my trip to Fiji, I spoke with a bunch of Survivor's former first boots on the phone about their time on the show, short as that time was. Apologies for the quality of the calls, but their perspectives are definitely worth digging into, even with rough audio. For example, take Darnell Hamilton, the first boot of Survivor Co-Rong, a grueling season. Like many people voted out of Survivor, Darnell doesn't believe viewers understand the real reason why he was cast out from his tribe. Some people believe he was voted out first because he lost a pair of goggles in the middle of the first challenge. Others believe it's because he went to the bathroom in the wrong place. Darnell tells a different story. It's just an excuse. It's just an excuse. They can say whatever they want. Oh, that's the goggles is the reason why, or the aqua dump, because I see that a lot come up on social media. But that's not even not even the aqua dump, because when I went to do the aqua dump, I was far, like I was over to the left. This was a designated poop lot. That's what we used to call it. So that's where I Wait, went. Wait, you called it the what? Was, what was it called? The poop. <laughs> the poop rocks. That's what it was called. <laughs> the poop rocks of Korang. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the poop rocks of Korang. Yes, and I was the first one to use them. But <laughs> uh, even with that, I at was least you far, made your like mark, a, Darnell. Yes, yes, the poop rocks. <laughs> I left my mark regardless. But I went over there, and that's where um, we was designated. But after that, that was just all of that stuff was just an excuse. I don't care what they say. In Survivor history, only one person has won twice. Sandra Diaz Twine, who conquered seasons 7 and 20 with her infamous as long as it ain't me strategy. Francesca Hoagie is the anti-Sandra. She is the only person in Survivor history to be voted out first twice, cast out of her tribe after only three days in the game on both of her seasons, Redemption Island and Karamoan. She took the first loss pretty well. The second loss? Not so much. So what's going through your mind when Jeff Probst snuffs your torch for the first time for a second time? <laughs> um, what a waste of time. 
I never ever should have done this again. That, that was what went through my mind. I was like, I'm just, I'm just so, I can't even believe that I did this again. <laughs> like, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And I can't believe I'm in this situation again. And I was much more, um, personally hurt by the second vote. Um, my second season, because I knew that like, Oh, people who I'm actually friends with, like talk on the phone all the time, hang out with, like actually share, you know, my life with like, those are the people who betrayed me this time. And that was way worse than the first time. The first time I didn't take it personally at all. I was just like, this sucks. And this is the game and this crazy guy. And, you know, Boston Rob and everybody loves him and he, whatever he says, anyone's going to do. And, you know, like that, I didn't, I didn't take my first season personally. My second season, I took it personally. So I was pissed. (laughs) Um, it was, yeah, it was rough. It was rough. There's the constellation known as Tina Wesson, who doesn't consider herself a first boot, and understandably so. She's a former Survivor winner, after all, the champion of the show's second season, viewed by millions and millions and millions of people. Tina returned for her second shot at the title during the show's eighth season, Survivor All-Stars, the first season to feature a cast of returning players. She was immediately voted out first due to her status as a former winner. She came back again almost 20 full seasons later and ended with an impressive fourth-place finish. If she has it her way, she's not done yet. Tina wants to come back for a fourth time. But there's an asterisk. You know, I... I thought I was losing my mind, (laughs) you know, and it's funny because like the other day, this is just a quick thing too about my brain. So the other day I was, uh, it's a mile. I live very, very remotely. I live in the middle of the woods, population seven, an hour and a half to the closest big town. So, um, I was walking to my mailbox, which is a mile away and I, I will do lunges and I will take my hot chocolate in the morning And usually I finish it by the time I get to this uh, certain area and I will put my coffee mug down and then pick it up on my way back from the mailbox. And I always forget my coffee mug. (laughs) So this one day, um, I'm probably 10 yards from my coffee mug and I was doing some lunges towards it. And I'm like, I'm going to stop doing my lunges because if I'm thinking about that and not my coffee mug, I'll forget my coffee mug. So sure enough, I quit doing my lunges and I walk right past my coffee mug. Oh my God. <laughs> so, so I'm like, that's why I'm saying CBS better hurry because granny's not getting any younger. Uh, you know, my brain is starting to go into that forgetful mode, which isn't pretty. Then there's Sonia Christopher, the first person ever voted out ever. These days, almost 20 years after she was booted from the beaches of Borneo, Sonia's as full of life and music as ever before, as you yourself heard at the start of this podcast. She remembers her experience in vivid detail, including the very first steps she took on her survivor journey. What did you do for the tape and the application? Can you tell me about that process a little bit? Sure. Uh, The application, as I recall, was about six pages. It's online if somebody wants to do that. Uh, The tape... uh, You were supposed to tell why you could be the ultimate survivor, and I really didn't have any illusions about that. Uh, But uh, so my thrust and what I said was more to convince them why they should select a a 63-year-old woman to do this. And so it went, uh, oh, I know, I dressed up in khakis, and I went out and... 
into the woods and uh, leaned against a tree with my little ukulele and sang. Uh, <laughs> well, maybe I should sing it. You said you were interested in some music. Absolutely. But... No, I would love it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I'm putting you on speaker, and uh, it's a takeoff on a song. I want to go. Uh, uh, well, you can you can hear. Uh, let's see. It's not the islands fair that are calling to me. It's not the balmy air or the tropical sea. It's the chance to survive and come out alive on the island of Pulau Tiga. <laughs> it's not the islands fair that are calling to me. It's not the balmy air or the tropical sea. It's the chance to survive and come out alive on the island of Pulau Tiga. <laughs> Let's hear from one more first boot, by way of a quote. I wanted to win this thing, badly. I have to trust there's a reason why I got voted off first. That's a quote from the first boot of Survivor Heroes vs. Healers vs. Hustlers. It's what they told me at Ponderosa when we sat down together the morning following the season's first tribal council. Survivor is the story of one million dollar winner and the castaways who tried and failed to win the prize along the way. In many ways, then, this podcast is about becoming acquainted with 18 new hopeful millionaires, including the person whose hopes will be smashed into a million pieces first. In the coming episodes, we'll get to know each of the heroes, healers, and hustlers in much greater detail. One of them will be the season's sole survivor. One of them will be the first one out. Stick around, and we'll find out who that is together. First One Out, a Survivor preseason podcast, is written, hosted, and produced by Josh Wiggler. That's me. It's a co-production between The Hollywood Reporter and Rob Has a Podcast. Taryn Armstrong is our editor. He's also a robot. Credit for the beautiful music goes to the great Fijian musicians Solo and Sato, as well as the iconic Sonia Christopher, Queen! Special thanks to Queen Sonia and the other former First Boots who agreed to tell their stories on this podcast. Special thanks as well to the team at The Hollywood Reporter for all of their ongoing support, as well as Rob Sesternino and the RHAP family for their support. Head to THR.com Survivor for more preseason coverage, including exclusive interviews with the cast members. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at RoundHoward for bonus videos and photos from my time out on location. Subscribe to Rob Has a Podcast at robhasawebsite.com slash iTunes to never miss an episode of First One Out, and to check out some extra interviews as we work our way up to the new season. Survivor returns September 27th, and First One Out concludes September 28th. Next time on First One Out. Are you going to be open about no, that you in the NFL? No, not a chance. It's the smartest person we've ever had on the show. What's a podcast? Uh-huh. <laughs> She's not afraid to get hurt. I have been bitten by a shark. You know, I was in the infantry and went over to Iraq. Um, I don't think she likes me. He literally could be Captain America. That's why I'm here. Um, that, that, that competitive switch, even though I'm not playing ball right now, you can't turn it off. I was an Olympic swimmer. As soon as you think you got things figured out, there's like a twist. He kind of acts like his shit don't stink. A lot of people on the crew are wondering if she, if she's going to be the person who'll be standing there at the end. Whoa.